All right, if you have your Bible, let's open together to the book of Revelation, chapter 13 and 14, two chapters in one morning. While you're turning there, I just want to give a shout out to a new life group that started in Keller, Texas. And they are following along with us in the study in the book of Revelation. We love you guys. Glad you're following with us. Just start sending in your tithes and offerings. We'll think about a fourth campus down there sometime. Uh, But have you enjoyed Revelation? Yeah. And I said to somebody before, I said, I don't know what I can do in uh, 35 minutes in two chapters, but we're going to try to do the the big sweep. Here's the plan in the Revelation study. We're trying to tell the overarching narrative of this book, which is a different kind of genre of writing. So we're trying to get the narrative and look for the blessing. And as we do it, we know that it was written in the first century to a particular audience, and we just have to be careful about making it mean to us something that it couldn't have meant to them. So we, we want to see what was John writing to the churches in the first century and what was predictive of something into the future. And today we're in a section that talks about some new, strange visions that John had. You'll remember that chapter 12, verse 17 ended with the dragon, who is Satan and the deceiver, going off to make war against those who hold the testimony of Jesus. Chapters 13 and 14 tell us how he makes that war, I think. Chapter 13 and 14 is a call to endurance. Endurance. The ability to keep doing something that's very difficult or unpleasant or painful over a long period of time. It's like finishing a college degree. Or it's like, uh, you know, cranking it out at work and finishing a project. Endurance in sports are sports that put an extreme demand on your body and your mind sustained over a long period of time. And it depends on aerobic metabolism and carbohydrate metabolism and the ability to endure over a long period. So what is enduring faith? What is the faith that endures? Endures through the extreme demands of life, through trial, through hardship, through suffering, through loss, over a lifetime. I'm so thankful as I look around the room that I'm watching people who are in their 70s and 80s who have trusted Christ and lived life with an enduring faith through everything that life can throw at you. Enduring faith depends on an intimate connection with Jesus Christ as your Savior, a life in the Spirit, trusting the Lord to lead you, and a dependence upon the certainty that this is God's Word. It can be trusted. His promises are always sure. As we begin this morning, how would you rate your faith at being able to endure hardship. Remember chapter 12 ended that the dragon went off to make war against the followers of Jesus who clung to the testimony of Christ. If chapter 13 tells us how he does that, um, there are some applications for our world today. Remember what 
Jesus said to the church at Smyrna in chapter 2 and verse 10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison so that you may be tested. And for 10 days you'll have tribulation, but be faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life. That was the promise to the church at Smyrna that they were going to face difficulty. We may face difficulty. In 2023, in the place we live, it's a difficult time. Will your faith endure? I pray it will. We're going to look at some lessons that will help us do just that. I remember that the dragon is the devil. He is Satan. He's the deceiver of the whole world. How does he do it? In these two chapters, we learn about empires and emperors, leaders, and the way, at least one of the ways that Satan attacks the people of God is to empower evil rulers. 13 and 14 are about kingdoms, kingdoms that want your allegiance, kingdoms that want you to follow them and worship them and take their mark. But being ID, ID'd, identified with one kingdom will set you at odds with another kingdom. And that's the flow that we're going to see this morning. There are two beasts in chapter 13. Let's look at verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Remember, this John apocalyptic language. He sees a vision. Here it is. I see a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns, seven heads, ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And the dragon gave his power and his and to it, that is to the beast, the dragon gave his power, his throne, and, his, and great authority. One of the heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, utterly haughty and blasphemous words. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened his mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Wow. Another image. There's a beast coming out of the sea. And here's what it looks like. The beast Coming out of the sea has a number of characteristics that I'm just going to highlight quickly. Here's what they look like. He's blasphemous, looks like a leopard, a bear, a lion. Daniel 7 should be triggering in your mind. The whole earth followed and worshipped the beast. The refrain was, who's like the beast? Who can stand against the beast? It has this authority for 42 months, and it's allowed to make war on the saints. So you scratch your head and say, well, who is the beast? Who is this beast? 
Well, is it a person? Is it a kingdom? Is it an empire? When you see leopard, bear, lion, I triggered it, but it should take you back to Daniel chapter 7 where each of those are found. There in Daniel chapter 7, there is, verses 3 through 8, a description of four great beasts that Daniel saw, like a lion, like a bear, like a leopard, and then a fourth terrifying one. I only tell you that, that in Daniel chapter 7, with these three animals as the beasts, we are told in Daniel that these are kingdoms. And John, in his vision in Revelation, sees all of that. In Daniel chapter 7, it culminates that one like the Son of Lamb, the Son of Man, came to the Ancient of Days and the books were opened and the beast was killed. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples and nations and languages should serve him. And his dominion, that is one like the Son of Man, has an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. We understand Daniel's vision of having a leopard, a bear, and a lion, and then another great one to be kingdoms of this world. I think when John is seeing this picture of a beast rising, he's seeing, if you will, dragon manipulated political power in the world. Now it is true that the Bible talks about an antichrist, an individual, and it could be that the beast here is an individual, or it could be um, actually a political power, an empire, a kingdom, rulers of this world. Daryl Johnson says that political empires become beastly when they reject God, and they become corrupt by their own power. Notice that in this text, worship of the beast, of the kingdom, of the empire, is mentioned three times. There is this vision that John sees that the empire becomes, if you will, the servant of Satan to oppose the followers of the one true God. Remember, John is writing under the Roman Empire. Domitian was, at that time, requiring emperor worship. And the Christians were having to make a choice. Will you worship the emperor and the empire Rome, or will you be banished to the island of Patmos? When a kingdom, an empire, a rule, turns away from God, it invariably turns in on itself, loves its power, and demands that it have a greater and greater authority over its subjects. When governments step out from under the rule of God, they do not become divine, they become demonic, Johnson says. Governments that exalt humanity as the measure of all things do not become more humane, they become more bestial. How about that? That helps. John sees this beast. Let's look at the second beast. 
beginning at verse 11. I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb. It spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast and in the presence makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down out of heaven to earth in front of the people and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. There's a second beast. What are the signs of the second beast? The beast out of the earth. Can we see that? There it is. Horns like a lamb, speaks like a dragon. Promotes the worship of the first beast. With signs and wonders it deceives. Didn't read the end of chapter 13, but it causes all to be marked with 666. Okay, how many great themes are we going to get in today's sermon? There are these two beasts, and one serves the other in John's vision. And this is often called the false prophet, or in our language today, the false propagandist who is propping up the beast. And the way some have thought about it, it is either that the first beast is the Antichrist, maybe a person, an individual, or perhaps it is an empire. And the second beast props it up. Some have described it this way, that the first beast is dragon-manipulated political power, and the second beast is dragon-manipulated religious sociological power that props up the kingdom. I'm not sure exactly how it is, but these two beasts work together to wage war against the followers of Christ. That's what their mission is. Um, and what happens when these Beasts, whoever they are, they require an allegiance from all of the world. And if you don't identify with them, then you immediately stand apart from them. You'll notice at the end of chapter 13 that they're required to take the mark. Verse 16, it causes all, both great and small, rich and poor, slave and free, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that one no one can buy or sell unless he has that mark. That's the name of the beast, the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who can understand calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Okay, what happens when the disciples of Jesus Christ that John is writing to resist the kingdoms of this world and do not worship everything that the kingdoms of this world are about, what's going to happen? There's going to be trouble. If you stand against the move of the empire and you stand for what you believe, the government will see you as a threat. 
and as troublemakers. Can you imagine living in a day in which standing for Jesus Christ would put you at odds with the empire in which you live? Can you? Can you imagine being pressed by the cultural pressures of our day and the government powers to restrict your ability to speak the things that you want to speak freely, to say and live your biblical convictions? Can you imagine being in a, in a world where government edicts, if you followed them, would lead you to transgress your biblical convictions about the value of human life, and about marriage and family? I can. If you're going to be a follower of the Lamb of God, what we know is that this world is not our home and the state is not our hope. Would you agree? And this is written in a day in which John is calling his followers and his readers to know that there is a beast. If it's Rome, in John's mind, for his readers, they're rising up to oppress the things of God. They have moved outside of the rule of God and they have become enamored with themselves as every empire does and they want more power and more power and they turn in on itself and then there's another system, whatever the second beast is, who props them up and leads everyone to follow the rule of the empire or if it's an individual, the rule of the anti-Christ, if it's a ruler at the end of the age, I'm not sure. It's a dreadful situation. But we can all look around and say, is it possible that this is happening around us? Yeah. So are we in the last days, everybody? We are. Are we in the last of the last days? We don't know. But we are in the time in which these realities will be true. Now, it's a little bit frustrating not to delve deeper, but I'm going to come back to the mark in just a second. Chapter 14, verse 1, this is what we read. And then I looked... And behold, on Mount Zion stood a lamb, and with him 144,000 who had, everybody, his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice in heaven like the roar of many waters, like the sound of thunder, and the voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing their harps, and they sang a new song. Okay, there's another picture. While all of this is happening with the two beasts, I look in heaven and I see I see, I see in 13 the beast standing on the sea, and I look in heaven, and who do I see? I see the lamb who was slain standing on Zion. This is a, com- a comparison and a contrast, but those who are with them, the 144, they also have a mark on their foreheads. Remember, this is imagery. So we're going to come to this, but what I want you to see is John is drawing a comparison, a contrast, and this whole imagery of the beast, I want to highlight six counterfeit realities that John is bringing to light. Number one, this is a counterfeit trinity. We believe in our Father who is in heaven and in Christ his Son and the Holy Spirit. That's our trinity. Have you followed the trinity of the enemy here? There is a dragon. There is a beast who is wounded. And there is another beast who promotes the worship 
of the beast who is wounded. What is John doing? I think John is, is presenting something here of the devil's way of presenting himself. The devil is not a creator, he is a counterfeiter. He twists, he bends, he distorts, he perverts the things of God. He's a plagiarist, not an originalist. He is the ultimate wolf in sheep's clothing. He's a dragon in lamb's clothing. And John portrays him that. There's a dragon, there's a beast, and there's another beast. Evil always mimics the true God. And that's why it's an angel of light, and it leads many astray. There is a counterfeit, if you will, trinity, but not a trinity. Secondly, there's a counterfeit throne and authority. In chapter 13 and verse 2, it says that the dragon gave his power and his throne and his great authority to the beast. To the beast and the dragon, he's given these things. Remember, Daniel 7 said that the Son of Man had a kingdom and authority. There is no authority that Satan has other than what God allows him. Did you notice the counterfeit, thirdly, resurrection? That there's a beast who has a mortal wound and then he lives? I don't know if that means that the kingdom comes almost to an end and then is resurrected, brought to life. I'm not sure exactly what it means, but it's another thread of counterfeit that God has his kingdom and he is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit and there is this counterfeit activity going on and it's meant to lead astray, mimicking the lamb who was slain. There are counterfeit signs in chapter 13 and verse 13. There's a counterfeit mark. You'll notice in chapter 13, verse 16, let's talk about the mark of the beast, 666. What does that mean? Well, it's a sign that is given to the forehead and the hand in John's vision. So remember, in most of these pictures that we've seen all the way through Revelation, we're really not talking about literal, literal things, but they are presenting a reality by an image of something greater that can't be seen. So there's a mark on the forehead. Is that going to be a tattoo? Is that going to be a chip in your hand? You know, it, it couldn't have possibly been a chip in your hand if it was for Rome in the first century because it couldn't have happened yet. But maybe it is. I think that's not the point. I think the point is that there is something on the head. Why? Because that's as you think. And something on your hand, because that's as you do. You have the identifying features of the God of this world by the way you think and the things that you do. And what is that? It's the number 666. Now, we've been hurt by some movies in the last 30 years about this whole idea of this, but let him who understands know this. Gematria is a numerical, a practice of assigning a numerical value to a name. So his name is 666. What is that? It's the name of a man. If we had a number of perfection three times, what would that be? 777. So what is this mark of the beast? It's one short on every 
comparison. It's man always falling short of the perfection of God. It's simply a number to indicate something about broken humanity that falls short. You have the mark of it. If you follow the beast, which is the God of this world and the kingdoms of this world and the values of this world, you're marked by, in the way I think and what I do, by everything about an earthly kingdom, not the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Now, does the mark of the beast scare you? What's the way to overcome the mark of the beast? Take the mark of Jesus. Have the mark of Jesus, which we've seen a number of times here. Those 144,000 and the myriad that followed them were all sealed. They all had the mark of Christ. And I would say in chapter 14, uh, we just read it, they had the name, Jesus' name and the Father's name written on their forehead, if you will, in the way that they think and love and value, and on their hands. You see, there's no fear really in the mark of the beast, am I going to have it? You're never going to have it if you have the mark of Christ and you've given yourself to him and you love him. Because his mark is on you and you are owned by him and you are sealed by him. What we pray for is anybody who's moving along with the mindset of this world and absolutely uh, doing the things of this world without any reference to God who is the coming king and they are currently marked by everything related to this world. We need to preach the gospel to them. Be witnesses and say you, you need to come to Christ. That is, that's the answer. Well, there's a counterfeit worship, but let me hold that, and, and we'll come back to it. How are you doing? You still with me? Okay. Um, we'll move on. Let me, let me say, if endurance is what we're after, here's what I want to... I'm always wrestling with trying to explain enough of this that you're somewhat satisfied, although I know you're always dissatisfied, uh, but, but also to say, well, what difference will it make for me today? How, how will I endure? Here's the way you endure. I want you to go down in chapter 14 and I want you to see the three angels who speak. There's another picture John sees. He sees three angels flying and the first angel speaks and what does he say? The first angel says, with a loud voice, fear God, give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. While this is going on, the angel cries out, fear God and give him glory. Eight times in this text, there's a reference to worship. And I would like to just say to you that the way you endure is understanding that what you worship in life has consequences. What you worship in life has consequences. And if you worship with all of your heart the Lord God and you love him for being the lamb who was slain for you, you will endure. And if you turn away and love this world more than him, you will have trouble enduring. Do you belong to Christ? Do you know who he is? Hear the angel say, fear God, give him glory. The hour of judgment is coming. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and everything in it. There is a counterfeit worship. This is the last counterfeit that I didn't mention. But eight times it's mentioned about worship around the beast. 
Did you notice in chapter 13, verse 4, where in total arrogance, the people of the world looking at the beast, whatever government that is, whatever antichrist leader that is, they cry out with an arrogance saying, who is like the beast? Who can stand against the beast? Whenever people get so confident in their, their government, their empire, who is like us? What happens? Well, you know pride comes before a fall. You, you, you know no kingdom of this world is going to end, especially if it denies the reality of being answerable to God who sets up all kings. What you worship matters. So what is the center of your worship today? There's a second angel who cries out in the next verse. And that second angel cries out, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations to drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. The angel is crying out, the Babylon, maybe the ultimate um, image or language of an empire that denies the reality and allegiance to God, Babylon is falling. What is the angel saying? The angel saying is that this world won't last. This world won't last. And you want to know how to endure in your own spiritual life? It's understanding that this world is going to end. And we sang it. We're going to stand before the Lord. That's coming. The second angel is crying out, this kingdom will not last, but his kingdom, the Lord's kingdom, is going to have an everlasting dominion. Could I take you to the New Testament to a quick verse in 1 John chapter 2? 1 John chapter 2 tells us how to live with the mark of Jesus on us. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, what's the next phrase? The love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father. It's from this world. And the world is passing away along with all of its desires. But, everybody, whoever does the will of God abides forever. Whose kingdom are you part of? Whose mark do you have? Who owns you? Who has your allegiance for everything? You say, wow, I, I have been off track my, a lot of my life. Well, the third angel speaks to us on how to get w where we are. It's a long text, and I'm going to abbreviate it. But the third angel begins to say this. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on his forehead and his hand and he drinks the wine of God's wrath, he will drink it, poured out in full strength into the cup of his anger. And he'll be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of his holy angels. It's a warning. If you follow the anti-Christ there's judgment. But there is this beautiful refrain in verse 13, and there it says, and I heard a voice from heaven after this angel, after this great warning, and that came with this promise. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Blessed indeed, that they may rest from their labors and their deeds follow them. It's like there's death coming for all of us, 
But this word out of heaven says, blessed are those who die in the Lord. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. That is, if you are in the Lord and you have his mark and you are owned by him and you die, which we all are going to, right? 100% chance. Blessed are you if you die with the Lord. If you die without the Lord, not so. So what's the warning here? Listen, if you're in the Lord, the lamb who was slain, then one thing that you know is that he is the remedy for every failure, every mistake, every sin, every wrong that we've committed. The lamb who was slain is our remedy. If you've been away from the Lord in your life and you're listening to this, say, this is weird, I've never heard this stuff in church. We haven't either. It's the first time like we're going through all of this and say, what is the end going to be like? Something like this. And there's a warning and a mercy on it. Now, did you see twice this phrase that was found in our text? In chapter 13, verse 10, and chapter 14, verse 12, there are these two refrains. Here's a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Here's here's a call for endurance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Are you ready to endure? You see what these saints are? These saints aren't singular, they're plural, right? Why do you think they're plural? Because you have to be together in community. When the world is pressing in, we need each other. Let me show you a little picture that I saw this week, and then I'm going to close our service. We need a little relief here. Okay, this is a merino sheep that lived in the South Island of New Zealand. And uh, in early 2000, this sheep decided to escape from his enclosure and make a break for some nearby caves. And he really pulled the wool over his owner's eyes, and he was on the lamb for six years. <laughs> and he lived by himself in a cave. And finally, he wandered back six years later, and his owner received him back. He couldn't see a thing, he could barely walk, and they shaved 60 pounds of wool off him. What's the moral of the story? You're not meant to live alone. You're not meant to live in isolation. You get blinded, you wander off, and you look horrible. (laughs) The point is, there is endurance for the saints. Are you with saints who are saying to you, Do you love this world more than the world to come? Do you know that Jesus paid for your sins and you tell each other the gospel, Christ died for your sins and you can be forgiven? Do you know that Revelation has this beautiful doxology to God, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood? This is about Jesus. We belong to Jesus. We aren't meant to live in isolation. The world is going to get worse and worse and worse and turn in on itself. And will you endure to the end? This is what you know. Jesus paid it all. So we're going to take communion this morning. We're going to remember the death of Jesus, the lamb who was slain. And we're going to eat this bread and drink this cup and remember what he did for us. He is the crucified Savior. He is the coming King. Does he have your allegiance? Do you have his mark? Do you worship him?
If you're worshiping something else more than Jesus, as we prepare for communion, why don't you just take a moment and say, Lord, I want you first in my life. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. If you're helping to serve communion, you can come. We'll pray silently, then we'll serve the bread and eat together. Lord, thank you that you were slain, the lamb who paid it all to remove our sins and to give us the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of our salvation. Thank you that because you paid it all, we belong to you, we are a part of your kingdom. Just move us away from the kingdom of this world and let us love you. And I pray today as we eat this bread, we'll be reminded of your sacrifice, and you will hear our hearts say, Lord, we surrender and we follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.